Well, hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week we're doing an archive show. This one was first broadcast September 25th in 2017. It's a Boomer Boulevard show, and I hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. And a very good afternoon to you, everybody, or is it evening or morning or whatever time it is where you are. I'm glad to see you. Come on in. Come on in. Plenty of seats. Gather around. Fall is in the air, but uh, not yet. As I'm recording this in St. Louis, it's 90 some odd degrees with uh, heat warnings out. But Next week, it's supposed to get back down in the 70s and maybe even in the 40s at night. That's wonderful. That's great sweater weather and hot cider and sit around a fire. Mm, love it. Hey, everybody, this is Bob Bro, and this is Boomer Boulevard, and I welcome you to our old-time radio program that features radio shows that we actually remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers. Now, a lot of these shows, almost all the shows we play, took place in the very late 40s, most of them in the 1950s. And many of us were alive and and remember some of these shows. And if we don't remember them on radio, we probably remember them from television because many of these had later incarnations as television programs. We have a great lineup tonight. We have an episode of Nightbeat that is one of the best you'll ever want to hear really good, dramatic. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about it in a minute. Then we're going to follow that up with a Jack Benny show that's very funny. It's about Jack uh, nursing a sprained ankle. And then we're going to follow that up with, I think, one of the top 10 best episodes of Gunsmoke. In fact, maybe even in the top five. Maybe even in the top one or two. A really, really good episode from 1958, entitled The Piana. That is, The Piano. But as you'll hear it described tonight, it's my beautiful, lovely, cherrywood Piana. And this is an episode that you will not soon forget. So what a great lineup we've got. We're so happy to have you along. Pull up a chair, make yourselves comfortable. We're going to get started in just a moment. Thank you. 
whenever I think of Radio Noir, I think of dark and moody and shadows. Is that the image you get? Well, boy, we have an episode of Nightbeat tonight that just fits every one of those categories. And it is an outstanding episode. I've listened to this two or three times over the last week just because I find the story so enthralling. It is really good. And I'm not going to tell you ahead of time who this features. Of course, Frank Lovejoy plays Randy Stone. He's the regular on the program. But there's three key characters in here. There's Kenny and Evie and Gig. See if you can recognize the voices of the actors playing these characters. This one, like I said, is really dramatic. And it's almost Shakespearean. It is uh, such a tragedy. So let's give a listen now to Nightbeat from April the 30th, 1950, in an episode entitled... Am I my brother's keeper? I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. My stories start in many different ways. This one began in the shattering turmoil of a manhunt and ended in the quietness of the morgue. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. People are always telling me how lucky I am to have a job where all I've got to do is walk around Chicago at night looking for a story. It's a dandy little job, sure. All you need is a pneumonia jacket, an extra set of art supports, and a goodly supply of penicillin, and you're all set. (laughs) The city at night, oh, it's fascinating. That old nose for news, frozen stiff and ready to fall off. Those eagle eyes so watery and bloodshot from the wind, they wouldn't serve a self-respecting canary. Yes, sir, it's lovely work if you can get it. Brothers and sisters, have I got it. (laughs) Well, I guess I was just bitter. I'd walked from the loop to the near north side, waiting for a story to tap me gently on the shoulder, and so far it was no hits, no runs, and no errors. The streets were empty. Everybody was home hugging a radiator. And then far away I heard that lonely blues in the night sound, the police siren. And then another one. And then another. And then it seemed like there was a whole chorus of sirens singing about what a cruel, cruel world it all was. And then one siren separated itself from the rest and came closer. A prowl car was coming down the street, stopping just a few yards away from me, and a police officer jumping out and hurrying to a call box. As the officer passed under the street lamp, I saw the excited look on his face, and I thought, all right, Stone, you lucky dog. Let's go to work. This is Malachek. 
Yeah, okay. We're on our way over there right now. Right. Hey, uh, just a second. What do you want, mister? Uh, what's up? Sounds like every squad car in the city's on the loose. Got no time, mister. Read it in the papers tomorrow. Oh, I never touch that. Look, the name is Stone, Chicago Star. Oh, reporter? Well, Miley. Now, look, that's a general call, isn't it? I got no time to stand here, Gavin. I'll give it to you fast. Gig Sanvers busted loose. Sanvers? Great. When? How? Read it in your paper, Stone. All right, cross it. Let's move. Gig Sanders, a two-time loser, a killer, loose in a city of four million people and everyone his enemy. I hurried to a phone, checked with the police, and then drove over to that part of Chicago called the Badlands, that strange area belonging to every city, surrounded by the business section, yet itself run down, deteriorated, filled with tenements and abandoned factories. It was there the police had thrown a cordon around a boarded-up building. My pass got me through up to the front line and police Captain Arnold. Hello, Stone. The hunt's on, huh? I don't know. We'll see in a minute. Sanders in that building? Got a tip he'd be. Wait a second. All right, Billings. Turn the searchlights on the building. Keep two of them on the roof. Run the others back and forth. Right. Checking around, Stone? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. You sure Sanders is in there? No, but we couldn't afford to pass up the tip. Well, where'd it come from? Anonymous, just a phone call. But Sanders knew this neighborhood like a back of his hand. Likely to be here. Captain Ireland, ready with the speaker now. Okay. All right. Here goes. Sanders, listen to me. There is no way out of that building that isn't covered. Come out with your hands in the air. We'll give you 20 seconds. Hear that, Sanders? 20 seconds. We'll count them off for you. What if he doesn't show? Tear gas first, then we'll go in after him. If he comes out with his hands up, he goes to the death house, and if he doesn't... He'll come out. Rats always believe there's a chance to beat the chair. Where there's life, there's hope, huh? No sign of him. Malachek. Yes, sir? Take the megaphone. When I give the signal, start counting off 20 seconds. Yes, sir. Well, you're giving him more than 20 seconds. Not him, the crowd. They won't push in so close when the counting starts. Oh. Oh, look at them. Look at those faces. Perfectly normal human beings for 23 and a half hours of the day. Give them something like this for 30 minutes and they become a mob, waiting and watching, hoping for the kill. People, Randy, want to change them? Oh, yeah, sure. We'll retool and put out a nice new eight-cylinder model with a convertible soul. Get ready, Malachek. Yes, sir. There's my story, Captain. Sanders? No, no, no. That's for the front page, boys. This mob, that's my story. That young couple right over there. Look at those two. They're hoping Sanders will come out shooting. Otherwise, they'll want their money back, huh? Yeah, yeah. Where you See going? you later. Well, I'm going to stand by that couple and listen to them. All right, Malachek. Start counting. But warn him first once more. Sanders, we're going to start counting right now. Come out with your hands in the air or we'll cut you in half when we come in after you. One, two, three, four, five. I edged my way behind the young couple. Six, they looked so nice, seven, so human. Eight, and here they were, the same as all nine, the rest. Ten, Go back just a little 11, over a thousand years, 12, put on a toga and take a seat in the Coliseum 13, at Rome. 14, Have a great day watching the gladiators 15, butcher each other. 16, cheer for the lions, or if you prefer people, cheer for the slave 18, to kill the lion. It makes no 19, difference. It's all the same 20. holiday somebody gets killed. And then it started. Let him have it! It was all over in a few moments. The tear gas, the police rushing in with their masks on, the crowd straining forward to get a glimpse of Sanders. But there was no Sanders. And the police came out. Nobody in there! 
there, Captain Arlen. He must have been. No, sir, not a soul. We've covered every inch. I watched that crowd, and strangely enough, there was relief on their faces, even a little shame that they'd hoped for the kill. But the young couple in front of me... He wasn't there, Ken. He wasn't there. I know. Come on, let's get out of here quick. Ken, Ken I'm, I'm sick. Evie, I... hold on to me. Let us through, please. Let us through. Oh, here, here, this way. Come on. Uh, make way for us, will you please? Clear she's, away. She's sick, mister. Maybe that's a natural reaction to disappointment. Huh? Oh, nothing, nothing. Come on. We'll get through this way. She's got to sit down a minute, mister. She's got to... Okay, okay, here. Here's my car. Let her get in. Kenny, Kenny, he wasn't there. He's loose. Never mind. Come on, baby, I'll get you home. You better let me drive you. No, 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 we'll be all right. I'm sick. Just a little while, Evie, we'll be home. Look, fella, it's easy to see what's the matter. She can't walk home in her condition. It ain't far. A block would be too far. I'll get a cab. No, no, I I don't want anybody around us. I don't want anybody around you. That's a laugh. You bring her out here to, to this... Why didn't you take her on a nice tour through the packing houses? Shut up. What right you got to talk like that? The founding fathers gave it to me. You don't know nothing about it. You don't know Can't nothing... take me home. Look, my car is still there. You're in no spot to refuse help, no matter what your reason. Now, come on. Let him. Let him take us, Kenny. Please. I... Come on, come on. They live very close. It didn't take over three minutes to get to their tenement building. I wanted to take her to a hospital, but she refused. She refused in a way that made me look at her hard. And there was another thing. The way she'd reacted when the police found out Gig Sanders wasn't in the old factory. Terror. That's what it was. Sheer terror. And then I helped her husband carry her up the stairs and into their meager little flat. On the couch, mister. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There. Now, have you got a phone? What for? Call a doctor. We ain't got a phone, but there's a drugstore. No, no, Ken. But, baby... We gotta get out. We ain't got time for a doctor. Now, just, just let me rest. And we gotta get out. You're in no condition to refuse a doctor. I am all right now. Yeah, sure. It ain't gonna be for three weeks. That's what the doctor said. Three That's... weeks? And you drag her out to that great exhibition? Why did... Shut you... up! I told you before you don't know nothing about it. Now, mind your own business and leave us alone. What are you looking like that for? What's the matter with you? With both of you? Oh, yes, there is. You're scared stiff. Of what? Please go, like Kenny says. Leave us alone. Well, let me phone for a doctor from the drugstore. I won't come back. Just the doctor. Evie? No, we ain't got time, Kenny. Don't you know that? We ain't got time. He's loose, Ken. He's loose. Evie, baby, don't, You're talking about Gig Sanders, aren't you? Why? Why are you afraid of him? Do you know him? Come on, what about a talk? No, not to nobody. You're scared of Sanders. Why? Look, mister, you helped us all right. Thanks. Now get out of here. Ken, we got to tell somebody. I said nobody. You know what'll happen. We got to tell. Mister, who are you? My name is Stone, Chicago Star. Newspaper. Newspaper. Does that frighten you? Maybe he can help. Maybe he can. Nobody can. You know that. I'll tell him. No, Evie, shut up. It was Kenny who tipped the cup. Evie. I had to tell somebody. Maybe he can help. Is that the truth, Kenny? I don't... Yeah. It was me tipped the cops. But Sanders was in the factory? I thought he might be. But he wasn't. All right, now tell me something else. How do you know so much about it? Now, come on, if you want me to help, I gotta know you're on the level, so tell me. Tell him. How do I know he won't go straight to the police? How do I know that? We gotta trust somebody. We gotta. Can we trust anybody? Well, try it and see. I... Him and me... 
in the same gang once. I did time, but I got out before he did. I went straight because... Because... All right, go ahead. It was for me. Oh. All right. How about the tip to the police? There'll be a reward, you know. Sanders is big time. I didn't do it for no reward. Okay, I'm sorry. Mr. Stone, help us. How? How can I help? By getting out now and keeping your trap shut about me. And that'll help? Oh, no. No, you'll be back where you started. Your wife knows that, or she wouldn't have asked me to help. Deagle, come after us. How would he know that you gave the information to the police? Your guess. We used that old factory plenty of times for a hideout. Nobody else knew how to get in. It's a cellar way. Well, let me ask you another question, Kenny. What? Why did you tip the police? Gig... Gig hates me. Why? Kenny married me while, while Gig was still in the pen. Oh, you were his girl? No, I, I never was. I never was his girl at all. I, I was like everything else Gig liked. Everything was his, no matter who it belonged to. To him, a, a girl was like anything else. His, his gun, his clothes. Anytime Gig Sanvers wanted something, it was his. I never loved him. I told him, but he, he just laughed like, like what I felt didn't mean nothing. I see. And now? Now he's loose. He hates me because of Evie. And he's going to know I tipped the coppers. Mr. Stone, if it's the last thing he does, you'll get us. You'll get Evie. And you'll get me. <laughs> kids were scared. They were plenty scared. I asked them the only question that made sense, and I got my answer. Go to the police? <laughs> sure. A guy who served time goes to the cops. He tells them he gave him a bum steer. They got every copper in Chicago around that factory while Gig gets away someplace else. Yeah, they'd believe me, wouldn't they? Well, try it, and I'll go with you. Listen, you don't know. I changed my name. I moved all over the state looking for a job. This is the only place I could get one. I had to come back here. So what does that prove? It'll be in the papers. He'll, he'll lose his job, Mr. Stone. I can't do that. Not with Evie. Well, well, then what do you want me to do? Look, maybe maybe if I give you a, a list of the places the coppers might find Gig, maybe you could tip him. And what if he doesn't show up? There ain't many places he can go. You know, look, maybe by this time he's out, maybe even out of the state. He's killed an officer. He won't dare to stay here. <laughs> Gig, as long as he knows Evie and me are still alive, he'll stay. He hates me so much, he'll take that chance. Does he know that you live here? No, I ain't even seen any of the old bunch at all. I moved around. Always moving to keep away. Mr. Stone, go to the police. But don't tell him nothing about me. Will you get it through your head that they'll protect you? Even so, Gig's got friends. If they find out it was me... Yeah, yeah. So you gotta go to the police. All right. Where's the drugstore? Right at the corner. You'll see. It. You stay right here. Keep your door locked until I get back. It was a short two minutes to the corner drugstore. I put in my call and started back to the flat. The street was quiet and deserted. The dirty tenements a solid block of ugliness against the night. I reached the tenement entrance. I was just about to start up the steps. Pal, hmm? don't turn around. Stand nice and quiet. That's it. What is this, a holdup? Yeah, sure, a holdup. Now listen to me. Take out a cigarette. What? Take out a cigarette. That's it. Now light it. Act natural. Yeah, good boy. Where are you? In your car at the curb, smart boy. What? I said don't turn around. 
take a look up and down the street. I am. Coppers? No. Okay. Now come here to the car. You're going to do like I tell you, you understand? What do you want? Who are... You know who I am, Stone. Yeah, I guess I do. Now listen. I'm going up to that flat you come from. Don't do it, Sam. Sure, I'm going to do it. This gun says I can do it. Leave the two kids alone. Yeah. All alone. You're wasting time, Sanders. Time you could use to better advantage. Sure. Now step back a couple of feet. I'm getting out. Just stand there. Keep smoking the cigarette. Okay, walk ahead of me. Straight into the house. Move. All right, stop here. Sanders. You're not going to do this and still have time to get away. Oh, you're really concerned about me, ain't you? But don't worry, I'm a big boy. Well, give him a break. Oh, sure, sure. Like they was going to give me. Now, listen, you're going back up to that flat. You're going to knock on the door and you're going to tell him to let me in. Is that all clear? Now, what if I don't? So be a hero. And I'll get in anyway. It's just easier this way. Okay? I, uh... All right. So let's go. <laughs> The walk up the stairs was a nightmare. I walked down the hall toward the flat. The flat where those two kids waited behind a door that they thought would keep the terror and the death away from them. And then the right knock. Who is it? Answer. Sanders, please don't do it. You're going to answer him? Who is it? It's Stone, Kenny, but I don't That's think... so. He was a long time... Inside, fast. Yeek. Shut her up or I will. Don't. You, Stone, lock the door. All right, Kenny boy. Over on the couch. Yeek. Don't hurt Evie. She's gonna have... Yeah, I see. Congratulations. Listen to me. Shut up. Stone. What? Get over to the couch. On your way over, turn out the light. Stay in line with the window so I can see you against the street lamp. All right, now sit down. We're going to have a long talk. You're going to listen to me, Gig? Sure, sure. I'm a wonderful listener. Only make it good and make it funny, huh? Evie and me fell in love, Gig. You ain't going to blame us for that. Evie and you fell in love? You think I was worried about that? You think I cared what she did? No. It's what you'd done tonight. He was afraid, Sanders, afraid that you'd come after him because of Evie. And I thought about it and stir plenty. But I figured, let it go. It ain't worth it. But this tonight is something different. Turning stooly. You'll never get out of Chicago, Sanders. Every cop in the city will be looking for you. That's nothing new to me. And now you, Kenny boy, you did tip the coppers, didn't you? Gig, listen. We're, We're nothing. You haven't got a chance, Sandra. Shut up with her. No chance, huh? <laughs> I always got a chance. My luck's good. Know why I wasn't in that factory, Kenny boy? Because my luck held. I had to get some dough first. You know where I was? In that crowd, just standing there, watching. You were in that crowd? Like watching my own funeral, only the coffin was empty. And I saw you and Evie, Kenny... That's so how I knew where the tip come from. 
All right, you're smart, Sanders. Now be smarter. You've got us where you want us. We can't make a move. But if you kill us, you'll kill the time you need to get away. I got ways. Like I come here. I followed you in a cab, then hid in your parked car. Now, ain't that smart? <laughs> well, Evie, you ain't said nothing yet. Dig, you... you're gonna kill us. I'm gonna kill you, Evie. Sanders, you said your luck held. Can't hold forever. What you're doing now is giving the police minute after minute to catch up with you. And they will, sooner or later. You killed an officer, Sanders. You know what that means? Him or me. It had to be that way. But it doesn't have to be this way. This way? What Kenny did was done to save Evie's life and the baby's. Right or wrong, that's why he did it. What would you have done to save your own life? I killed a cop to save my life. That answer you? I... Yes, I guess it does. So it makes sense. Is that a radio there by you? Yeah. Well, turn it on. We're all going to sit here and wait for the news. <laughs> I got to see how I'm making out. We sat in the semi-darkness of the room. The only light came from the window that faced the street. Then the 11 o'clock news broadcast came on. Tell us more. Tonight in Chicago, the city's manhunt goes on for Geek Sanders, convicted and sentenced killer. Acting on an anonymous tip, the police surrounded the old Phillips factory, but Sanders had not been there or had escaped before the cordon could be drawn tightly. Meanwhile, rewards totaling $2,800 have been offered. Shut it off. And? Well, $2,800. That's a real nice nest egg, huh, Kenny boy? There wasn't any reward, not when there I... There is no... Sanders. What do you want, Stone? You said you were smart. So what are you getting at? Maybe you forgot one thing. Yeah? You came here in a cab. So? The driver get a look at your face? Don't give me that. Officer would be here long before now. Oh, no, Sanders. Only about a half hour has gone by since they tried for you in the factory. Figure it out. By the time the cab driver reports, by the time the police check... Shut up! You're wasting time. You got half a chance if you take it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you talked me into it. Okay. Now get going. Dig, no. Please, no. Dig, not Evie. The baby. The baby, Evie. Could have been rotten in that factory by now. What satisfaction will you get from this, Sanders? Satisfaction? Everything in the world. You were friends. Yeah, yeah, we were friends. You tell him how good friends we were, Kenny? You tell him how we played in the same dirty, stinking streets, how we ate the same slop in the orphan asylum? You tell him all that? Yeah, Evie. You tell him how I was always the one to get Kenny out of jams when we were kids? Did they tell you that too, Stone? No, but you're thinking of it. Remember it, Sam. Oh, I am, yes. All Kenny wanted was a decent life. Even if it cost mine, huh? He wanted to live for his wife and his baby. And I want to live. For what? Oh, you... You shouldn't have said that, Stone. I didn't have nothing against you, not until you said that. I was going to the death house when I busted loose. I figured a million ways to get away, and I took a chance when it come. I killed a cop... A cop, and I know what happens to a cop killer. I know what... Yeah, now they're coming. I guess you were right about that cabbie. In a minute, the cops will be all set and ready. And I killed a cop. That's how bad I wanted to live. But nobody wants me to. Nobody. You hear nobody. Listen to me, Sandra. You listen to you. A few weeks ago, there was a leopard loose. And you know what people said? You know, Stone? Yes, I know. They felt sorry for the leopard. That's right. Everybody wanted the leopard taken alive. Nobody wanted it killed. But me, 
to me, I'm a human being. And me, they want to see cut to pieces. Maybe because there's all the difference in the world between you and that animal. Is there? Is there? You're going to say the leopard wouldn't know better if he killed or got away. Well, neither do I. Neither do I, because that's the way I learned to live. Because you didn't want any other way, Sanders. Because it was the easiest way. You grew up in the gutter. You never wanted to get out of it. Other men did. I ain't other men. I'm Gig Sanders. Gig Sanders. Gig, they're all around. You ain't got a chance. Oh, well, that's dandy for you. Just what you want. No, Gig, no. I swear it ain't. You swear. Now, listen to me. I'm going out. But not with my hands up. And I ain't gonna die alone. Sanders, don't. Do one last decent thing and let these kids alone. Shut up, Gig. Listen. I'll go with you. Kenny, no. Gig, I'll go with you. It'll be you and me again, like it always was. I'll help you get away. We can do it together, Gig. We always used to. Me and you, remember? You're crazy, Kenny, if you think you're going out with him. You won't have a chance. He'll cut you down with him. Kenny, stay here. You've got to do it, Evie. You've got to see that. I have to do it. Gig, you want to kill me. All right. I'll be dead if that's what you want. But I'm going out with you. I got a gun. I got a gun. <laughs> Kenny, put it down. Don't. So, so you got a gun. You got a gun. All right, why don't you shoot me? I could have. Why don't you shoot me? I could have any time we were sitting. No, but you didn't. You were always soft, Kenny boy. You see, Stone, that's the difference between him and me. Then shoot me. Go ahead, kill me now. But even if you don't, I'm going out with you, Gig. Kenny, you're not talking sense. Sanders! Sanders! We know you're in there. Sanders, this is Captain Ireland. Listen to me, Sanders. Yeah, I'm listening, Copper. Sanders, there are innocent people in that building. We'll give them time to clear. If you've got any human decency left in you, wait before you do anything. But I warn you, Sanders, if you don't come out with your hands in the air. What are you going to do? You know what I'm going to do. Coppers! I'm coming out! Right out the front door! Tell everybody else to stay in! Tell them! All right, Sanders. But with your hands up. Now listen, you people. Stay in your rooms, lie down on the floor, and stay away from windows and doors. I'm coming, Coppers! They'll kill you, Gig. Sanders, go out with your hands in the oh, air. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And now, Evie and Kenny... Gig! Sanders... Do it, Gig. Do it and get it over with. Oh, Kenny. Kenny, boy. Get where I can see your face. Think what you're doing, Sanders. Shut up, Stone. Come here, run the light by the window, Kenny. Now, let me look at you. <laughs> you said you'd go out with me? Yeah. Now, Kenny, don't lie to me now. Don't lie to me. I'll go out with you, Gig. Swear it's the truth, Kenny. Swear it's the truth. I don't have to swear it, Gig. You're looking at me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm going out. Alone. Now, what about Kenny and Evie? They can rot in this stinking world. They can rot. Not me. I'm going out. I'm going out and meet all the coppers in Chicago. Gig! Stay where you are. <laughs> He's gone. He's gone. Come out with your hands up. Help, Captain! 
$100 lying down there, Kenny. <laughs> Go down and pick it up. I don't want it. You had all the chance in the world. Why didn't you kill him? I couldn't. Nick Sanders is my brother. Now it's almost dawn again, and I've written another story. It's a story that began a long time ago when a man looked up and answered a question with another question. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, there's an answer to that, and our society has made it. Yes, you are your brother's keeper, but he must be worthy of the keeping. Copy, boy. Nightbeat, the new dramatic series, stars Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Nightbeat is produced and directed by Warren Lewis and edited by Larry Marcus. Today's script was by Russell Hughes with music by Frank Worth. The part of Gig was played by Bill Conrad. Others in the cast were Georgia Ellis, Harry Bartell, Louis Jean Height, Herb Ellis, and Lee Millar. Frank Lovejoy will next be seen in Milton Sperling's production, Rock Bottom, released by Warner Brothers. NBC has presented for your approval a special edition of Nightbeat to acquaint you with this regularly scheduled Monday evening program. If you have enjoyed this broadcast, join the millions of listeners who, each Monday, tune for adventure and mystery on the regular Nightbeat series. Listen then tomorrow night when again you will hear Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone on Nightbeat, presented by General Mills. From April 30th, 1950, as heard on NBC, that was Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. And the name of that episode was Am I My Brother's Keeper? And did you notice the names of some of the other stars that appeared in that? Certainly ones we're familiar with from Gunsmoke. William Conrad played Gig, the escaped convict. Georgia Ellis was Evie, who, of course, plays... Uh, Kitty on Gunsmoke, and Harry Bartell was Kinney. The acting in that was just outstanding. And did you see the twist coming at the end? Hmm. There was just so much I liked about that episode of Nightbeat. Ah, Chicago late at night. I love the description of the cold that he was facing. I tell you, wind comes in off that Chicago River right downtown. It'll go right through your bones. Although, I'm recording this on Sunday, September 24th, and I was just starting to watch a football game between the uh, Steelers and the Bears up in Chicago on this day, and it was in the 90s. And here we are in late September. But uh, it was about the same in St. Louis today. Very, very hot day. But it'll be breaking soon, and we'll will be fall. Chicago is a great town. My oldest son and his wife just left there this weekend after 10 years living in Chicago, and they are moving to Portland, Oregon. And I know that they're going to miss Chicago. 
Here's a song that you might remember back, well, I think it was 1974. Do you remember this song about the night Chicago died? a summer night in the land of the dollar bill when the town of Chicago died and they talk about it still when a man named Al Capone tried to make that town his own and he called his gang to war with the forces of the law I heard my mama cry I heard her pray the night Chicago And the sound of the battle rang Through the streets of the old east side Till the last of the hoodlum gang Had surrendered up or died They were shouting in the street And the sound of running feet And I asked someone who said About a hundred cops are dead I heard my mama cry I heard her pray the night she was no sound at all but the clock upon the wall then the door burst open wide and my daddy stepped inside and he kissed my mama's face and he brushed her tears away the night Chicago died That was Paper Lace, with a song that was a big hit indeed in 1974, The Night Chicago Died. Speaking of Chicago, one of its favorite sons died earlier this month in September. Shelley Berman was a pioneer 
in stand-up comedy, although he used to call it sit-down comedy because he used to always sit on a bar stool when he would do his act. But I remember buying his albums back when I was a kid. In 59, this album came out, Inside Shelley Berman, and this is one of the first cuts on the album. And maybe you'll see what we all fell in love with back then. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Shelley Berman. About a month ago, or maybe it was, I don't know, maybe it was uh, two months ago, and I was recalling a radio show or a television show which I had seen or heard, I'm not sure which. And on this show, there was a child psychologist, and he was answering questions which had been submitted by mail from worried, distraught, harried, frightened, hysterical, and insane parents, you know, the degrees to which they get. And one of the questions which had been submitted was from a mother who was very concerned about her, her very young daughter whom she claimed was taking things which didn't belong to her and she, she wanted to know what was wrong with her. Well, the child psychologist's diagnosis was that the kid was a thief. And he said, um, he said, don't worry about it, you know. <laughs> it wasn't his kid. And I said, um, <clears throat> he said, two things will happen. Either she'll grow out of it or she'll become more proficient. So one way or the other, you know, she will have to benefit. Be too concerned. He said, don't discourage the little crook because you'll give her a trauma and she will grow up unable to adjust herself to society and uh, all sorts of problems, you know. And so he said, you know, if, you, if the girl cheats, let her cheat, ignore it. And then he spoke out in a rather peculiar fashion about lying. As I recall, he said something to this effect. I know many liars doing very well these days, making out airline schedules. And, um... <laughs> I got to thinking about that because I, I fly an awful lot. You know, I'm a performer and we're always hopping around the country and you know, uh, we're at the mercy of these people because we need them so much. And you know how airlines are always bragging about their safety records, you know, flying is the safest way to fly. Uh, or um, <laughs> what they actually say is this, uh, statistics prove that flying is the safest way to travel. I don't know how much consideration they've given to walking. Uh, however, there are uh, the propaganda efforts on the part of the commercial airlines is terribly, terribly convincing so that I, frankly, haven't the slightest doubts whatsoever about my safety in a plane until I walk into an airport terminal. And I realize that there's a thriving industry in this building selling life insurance policies, you see. Good for one flight, you know, which is very cautious. And, uh, and there are booths all over the place selling life insurance and slot machines dispensing life insurance. And, and the whole thing seems to convey this one message to me, that I may be confident about landing safely, but there's a serious doubt in somebody's mind as to whether I'm going to make it, you see. And because I happen to be a little chicken to begin with, this, uh, this, this power of suggestion plants a seed of doubt, gives me a negative attitude toward the flight. Incidentally, if you do uh, buy one of these policies, 
For God's sakes, don't read it. Pay for it, sign it, send it off to somebody you want to worry, but if you read this, you'll never fly. <laughs> what it does on these policies, it itemizes very carefully everything that can happen to you in that plane. And there is one word which I think should be stricken from the English language immediately anyway. The word is maimed. It's a horrible, <laughs> horrible word. Injured conveys the point, but maimed <laughs> sounds so permanent and ugly, you know. Well, this power of suggestion works progressively, you see. The first thing you do, for example, when you get into the plane, you strap yourself into the seat, which, as far as I'm concerned, is another very ominous gesture, you know. <laughs> you may stop there, but I take it a step further. I say to myself, well, I'm strapping myself into the seat. Because if I wasn't strapped into this seat... There's a very good chance that I will fall out of this seat, you see? <laughs> see, if the plane came to a sudden stop, like against a mountain. <laughs> I visualize myself flying right through the plane and right out through the front, you know, right through the area where the crew and the girls have their parties. And... Uh, <laughs> That is what I find most terrifying of all, you know. And because I happen to be, as I say, a rather devout coward, I, I, I really strap myself into that seat, people, to a point, say, if I flew for over 20 minutes, I'd get gangrene. So, I think to myself, with this little belt around me, if the plane stops quickly enough, perhaps only the top half of me will fly through the front of the plane. And the rest of me will remain seated where I am, <laughs> with my legs crossed. It's such a macabre picture, you know? Going further with this power of suggestion, you know the little slot behind the seat in front of you? And it contains all kinds of goodies, huh? free. Well, no matter how sophisticated I get, I immediately go rummaging in that slot in hopes of finding some new treasure, like an old sandwich, a uh, forgotten Erskine Caldwell novel. If anybody can forget an Erskine Caldwell novel. <laughs> Frankly, I don't know why that man is seeking success. He can have so much fun just sitting around thinking. Anyway, um, <laughs> what you usually come up with are the same old things, a little booklet that says it's fun to fly, and there are maps showing you where you're going, which is the optimistic point of view. <laughs> and, uh, and then, of course, there are pictures throughout the book of people standing outside of the plane with Hawaiian lays around their necks, and they're waving in hysterical glee. They're awfully happy. But, you don't know, these people have just landed. They're not waiting to take off. <laughs> and, of course, there are pictures of movie stars waving at you, Will Rogers and Carol Lombard. And the whole thing, you see... <laughs> The congregate sensation is one of stark terror, let's face it. Then, of course, there is one more item in this little slot, which I construe to be the most ominous item of all, in the form of a little innocent-looking white bag. <laughs> That's enough to finish me on the ground, you know. All they're saying is, you feel good now, but wait till we get you upstairs, brother. <laughs> of course, there are instructions on the bag in three different languages, French, Italian, and Hebrew, and all... <laughs> All they're saying, freely translated, is in here, slob, and it's very obscene. <laughs> now, 
Uh, pretty soon, pretty soon you're off the ground, but that's after that interminable wait on the ground when they try out each engine one at a time. <laughs> and you keep listening for a bad one, don't you? Huh? And you hear one every time, huh? And you don't know who to report it to. And even if you did, you wouldn't say anything. What it boils down to is this, you'd rather die than make an ass of yourself. Now, pretty soon, then the plane has to roll, you see, to gain momentum to get up off the ground, and it rolls, doesn't it? And it rolls, and it rolls, and it rolls, and it rolls, and rolls, and rolls, and rolls. And you say, well, the hell with science tonight, it's not going to make it tonight. <laughs> Stays on the ground, and pretty soon, thank goodness, you're swinging through space, right? And of course, if it's nighttime, naturally, your motors are on fire. You, uh, <laughs> look out of your window, and there are both the engines on your wing, joyously in flame. Happy Fourth of July. At this point, let us work a sort of a little moderate experiment. Everybody, for just a second, close your eyes and visualize a commercial airlines pilot. Have you got him? Isn't he handsome, huh? Clear blue eyes, ruddy complexion, a crooked smile but straight teeth. <laughs> Had at a jaunty angle few strands of gray, but nevertheless, he's young enough. Sure hands. It's the father image, people. Daddy is going to take me flying. That's the attitude you have. Now you're going through space. You're zooming through space. There's nothing down there, people. Not a damn thing but air. And you hear a little click over the, up uh, through the plane. You're, you're aware that the public address system is on, and you hear something like this over the speaker. Um, uh, good evening, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is uh, your pilot, uh, Captain Holbrook. I, uh, I just want to welcome you all aboard uh, Flight 714 uh, nonstop to... Um, Angeles, uh, we'll be cruising at an altitude of approximately, um, oh, I don't know, 20,000 feet or so. Um, we uh, picked up a tailwind, so of course we'll be... We'll be traveling approximately 350 miles per hour, and we should land 20 minutes ahead of schedule. Now, that scares the hell out of me, too, you know. I mean, we, we can land an hour ahead of schedule if he puts it down in Grand Canyon, you see. Uh... <laughs> the thing is, I want to get there late, but there, and I want to tell them that. Uh, before departing from this uh, subject, I just want to say just a few words about Stuart Eye. Uh, they have... <laughs> Stuart Eye is plural for stewardess. Uh... <laughs> I think there are many incongruities in the English language as far as plurals are concerned. For example, it seems to me that the plural for yo-yo should be yo-yai. Uh... <laughs> How about one sheriff, several sheriff him? 
Um, one goof, a group of geef. Uh, one Kleenex, several Kleenexes. One blouse, two blice. Two jack eye. Anyway, uh, Stuart Eye. Stuart I have an inexorable smile which cannot be broken through. Well, they can't help that. They've been conditioned. They've gone to smile school. And all other expressions have been brainwashed out of them. They're, they're left with this. Care for a pillow? Miss, the, uh, the wing is on fire out there. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, really. Take a look out there. The wing is a sheet of flame. Take a look. Coffee, tea, or milk? <laughs> we don't have time for coffee, tea, or milk. We're doomed. Well, then how about a martini? <laughs> a truly accomplished stewardess knows approximately 24 good English words. Um, hello? Fasten seatbelt, please. Coffee, tea, or milk? And of course, the most beautiful line of all, both Miss Jones and myself have enjoyed having you on this flight. <laughs> been a few weeks now, maybe a month or two since we last played a Jack Benny show on the Comedy Corner, so we're going to correct that tonight and play an episode that was first broadcast on December the 14th in 1947. 1947 is an interesting year for baby boomers because many of us were born in 1947. I know I was. In fact, this show was broadcast 10 days before the day I was born. I always loved listening to shows from this period because it kind of gives me an idea of what was going on when I was born. And I I often wonder if my mother and my father weren't listening or didn't listen to this show when it was originally broadcast. Hmm. Anyway, it's fun to think about. Jack has sprained his ankle in a football game with the local boys in the neighborhood. He is now in bed nursing a sprained ankle. So tonight's show is just a collection of folks coming over to wish him well and having a lot of very funny exchanges. 
There's only a couple historical facts that I needed some clarification on. Martha Graham is mentioned. And if you remember Martha Graham, she was a um, modern dance artist. In fact, she's sort of considered uh, one of the creators of modern dance. Uh, Now, I will have to admit, I am not a big fan of modern dance. I would probably rather watch paint dry on a wall than watch androgynous people running around a stage holding various props and things. Now, I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying I aren't a fan. But maybe you are. And maybe you knew Martha Graham or knew of her and are familiar with her work. Well, Jack makes a reference to Martha Graham, and I don't understand the reference. And you'll hear it in the show. It's when Mary comes onto the scene. So we'll talk about that a little bit afterwards. And there's also one other historical note that we want to talk a little bit about. Okay, that's enough. So here we go. Back to December the 14th, 1947, the Jack Benny Show. Jack has a sprained ankle. The Jack Benny Program. with Barry Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, as you all know, last week, Jack Benny sprained his ankle while playing football with some of the neighborhood kids. He's been confined to his bed all week, and his friends are quite concerned about it. Let's drop in on two of them. Say, Emily, what is it, Martha? Did you hear about Jack Benny spraining his ankle? Yes, I read about it in the paper. Oh, the poor man. I hope it doesn't interfere with his dancing. (laughs) Turkey trots divinely. Why, Martha, did you ever dance with Mr. Benny? No, but I saw him one night last month when I was cigarette girl at the Palladium. (laughs) He called me over and bought a package of Lucky Strikes from me. Really? And while I was giving him his change, his hand touched mine. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Then what happened? Oh, I don't know. When I came to, I was in the ladies' powder room. (laughs) Oh, Martha, you're just making a fool of yourself over Jack Benny. I am not. You are, too. You even went to see the horn blows at midnight. (laughs) Well, that was the only place I could be alone with him. (laughs) Emily... Have you ever noticed his eyes in the technicolor picture? His eyes? Yes. They look like the reflection of the evening sky in two limpid woodland pools. (laughs) Martha, stop talking about him like that. You'll blow the fuse on your hearing aid. (laughs) But I don't care. You know, I sent him flowers this morning. Gee, I wonder if he received them. How about another pillow, boss? 
No, I've got enough pillows. But, gee, I wish the bed was a little softer. Shall I empty the mattress? No. You better do that tomorrow morning. The banks are closed today. <laughs> yes, uh, where would you like me to put these flowers? Over there on the table. You know, I can't figure out who sent them. Let me see that card again, Rochester. Here you are. To Jack Benny from someone who admires you tremendously. I wonder who... Well, you know, boss, Lana Turner ain't going with Tyrone Power anymore. <laughs> Say, maybe... No, no, he wouldn't send them to me. <laughs> Rochester, hand me that mirror. I want to see if I need a shave. Here you are. Let's see. No, oh, I guess I can get by without shaving. Gee. Mr. Benny, why do you keep staring in the mirror? Rochester, do my eyes look like the reflection of the evening sky in two limpid woodland pools? Uh-huh. It's a shame you have to close them at night. Yeah, me in the morning glories. By the way, boss, do you want me to fill out that form for your accident insurance? I don't know. Do you think they'd pay off on a sprained ankle? Why not? You collect it for that ingrown toenail. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, Rochester, take the pen and start filling out the insurance form. Yes, sir. You can answer most of the questions yourself. Okay. Full name, Jack Benny. Address, 360 North Camden Drive. Occupation, radio comedian. Age, 38. <laughs> that's my boy who said that. <laughs> Weight, 165 pounds. Height, 5 feet 10. Color of eyes, reflection of the evening. Just put down blue. This is a business transaction. Yes, sir. You better answer this next question, boss. Describe how accident occurred. Hmm, write this down. During the excitement of a football game, I was viciously tackled, thrown to the ground, and knocked unconscious. Name the description of person causing injury to you. Stephen Kent, nine years old. <laughs> Say, boss, ain't that going to be sort of embarrassing? Yes, you, you better make it 12 years old. <laughs> Nature of injury, severe sprain to the left ankle. And... Rochester, see who's at the door. We'll finish this later. Yes, sir. Let's see. To Jack Benny from someone who admires you tremendously. Might be Hetty Lamar or Ann Sheridan or Paulette. Or Betty Grable. Or, gee, I better take off some of these blankets. It's getting kind of warm. <laughs> it might even... Oh, hello, Don. Well, hello, Jack. Rochester told me to come right in. I came over just as soon as I heard about your accident. Well, that was nice of you, Don. And, Jack, I brought you this basket of fruit. Thought you might enjoy it. Gee, what a lovely-looking basket. Fruit, nuts, and everything. Look at the fruit there. Set it right over there on the table. Okay. Mind if I have an apple? No, 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 not at all. How'd the accident happen, Jack? Oh, it's really silly. I was playing football with some kids, and I tripped and fell. You know, Jack, I was quite a football player during my college days. You were, Dad? Yes, sir. Did you ever hear of the famous seven blocks of granite? Yes. Well, I was known as the seven barrels of blubber. I'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, just ad-lib that to cheer you up a little. <laughs> Well, well, thanks. You're welcome. Mind if I have banana? No, no, no. Go right ahead. Well, seriously, Jack, I was pretty terrific as a football player. What'd you say, Don? 
I'll never forget my last college game back in 1927. With only one minute to go, I scored a touchdown on the hidden ball play by slipping the ball under my jersey. Well, Don, that was 20 years ago. You can take it out now. (laughs) By the way, Don, uh, how are things at the studio? How did the rehearsal go? Oh, everything went fine, Jack. Good, good. Would it be all right if I have an orange? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Go right ahead. Rochester, answer the phone, please. Yes, sir. Hello? Hello, Rochester. This is Professor LeBlanc, Monsieur Benny's violin teacher. Oh, yes. I just heard the good news. No, no, Professor. It's his ankle, not his arm. (laughs) Sacre bleu. Who was that on the phone, Rochester? Professor LeBlanc. Oh. Say, Jack, was that your violin teacher? Yes. Mind if I have another banana? No, no, no. Go right ahead. You know, Jack, I was just thinking... Don, Don... Wouldn't they taste better if you peeled them first? Huh? I don't know. I've never tried them that way. Well, you should. You know, they're... Oh, hello, Dennis. I was hoping you'd come over. I wanted to ask you... Oh, hello, Mr. Benny. Hello. Say, Dennis, I was hoping you'd come over. I wanted to ask you about... How do you feel? Pretty good. Dennis, I was hoping you'd come over. I wanted to ask you... How's your ankle? Not bad. Not bad. Dennis, I was... Hello, Don. Well, hello, Dennis. (laughs) See, these grapes are good. Grapes? Don, when did you start the grapes? After I finished the tangerines. <laughs> tangerines? How can a man... Hey, Don, put... come to the window. I want to show you something. Look. Look what I bought this morning. See it there against the curb? Well, a bicycle built for two. Say, who's that sitting on the front seat? My chauffeur. <laughs> Your chauffeur? I got two shows, you know. <laughs> I know, I know. Say, Dennis, look at this. I brought it over to cheer up Mr. Benny. Gee, what a beautiful basket. Yeah, you should have seen it when there was fruit in it. (laughs) Hey, Mr. Benny, I brought you something, too. Here. Oh, thanks, kid. Thanks. But, uh, uh, what is it? It's just a plain stick. Oh, it was a popsicle, but it melted on the way over. (laughs) Oh. And I had a gift wrapped, too. Well, anyway, Dennis, you meant well. Oh, by the way, Don, I'd like you to drop by my house if you can. We have our Christmas tree up already, and I want you to see it. Oh, sure, I'd love to, Dennis. How do I get to your house? Drive over to Wilshire Boulevard and follow the pink line down the middle of the street. The pink line? That popsicle was raspberry. (laughs) Jack, do you mind if I have one of these walnuts? No, no, Don, go ahead. I'm glad you didn't bring me candy. I'm on a diet. Don, not so loud with those walnuts. It makes me nervous. Oh, I'm sorry, Jack. Anyway, you're liable to... Who's that? Somebody at the door? I'll get it. Hey, Mr. Benny, how long do you think you'll have to stay in bed with your sprained ankle? I don't know, but I've got to be up Thursday because I'm going to be a guest on the Dick Haynes show. Dick Haynes? Who's he? (laughs) Who's he? Dick Haynes is a great singer. That's who he is. How many shows has he got? (laughs) One. Ha! Dennis, what are you ha-haing about? Everybody doesn't have to have... Mr. Benny, it's right here, sonny. Hello, Mr. Benny. Oh, hello, Stevie. It's nice of you to drop in. 
Gee, I'm sure sorry I tackled you so hard that you hurt your ankle. Well, don't worry about it, Stevie. It's all in the game. Say, Stevie, this is Don Wilson and Dennis Day. Hi. Hello, Stevie. Hello. Mr. Benny, yeah. the boys in our club were sorry you got hurt, so we chipped in and bought you this. Oh, gee, my favorite magazine, True Confessions. <laughs> Thanks, Stevie. Say, uh, Stevie, I understand that you and the kids in the neighborhood have a pretty good football team. Yeah, we have uniforms and everything. How many footballs have you got? One. Ha! <laughs> Dennis, be quiet. You know, Jack, I think it's wonderful the way the kids in the neighborhood all get together and play football and everything. Not only that, Don, these kids have even formed a club. They pay dues, you know. They've already saved up $8.65. How do you know? Mr. Benny's the treasurer. <laughs> yes, they wanted me to run for president, but I don't... See more visitors today. Rochester, see who's at the door, will you please? Yes, sir. Hello, Rochester. How's Mr. Benny? Oh, he's getting along fine, Miss Livingston. You know, he's in a pretty good shape for a man of 38. 38? Rochester, Mr. Benny is 53. Well, then how come when he made out his income tax, he put down his age as 38? The government lets him withhold 20%. <laughs> Rochester, who is it? It's me, Jack. Well, Mary. Mary, it's sure good to see you. Hello, Jack. How are you, Don? Hello, Mary. Hello, Dennis. Ha! <laughs> What was that? He thinks he's better than you are because you've only got one head. <laughs> By the way, how are things in Palm Springs? Oh, I had a wonderful time, Jack. And just before I left, I got this letter from Mama. Oh, a letter from your mother, eh? Well, what does the Martha Graham of Plainfield have to say? <laughs> I'll read it to you. <coughs> Don, don't throw the shells in my bed. <laughs> Go ahead, Mary, read the letter. Okay. My darling daughter, Mary, I hate to start this letter with bad news. I thought your father was on the wagon. But last week, he lost his job as Santa Claus in the local department store. It seems he breathed on a couple of kids and their hair turned gray. I knew he could do it. <laughs> However, I am happy to say that your sister babe is engaged again. This yeah. time to a very nice man. He's working at the Acme Iron Company as a steam fitter. A steam fitter, huh? Babe had to quit working as the foreman won't allow man and wife on the same job. <laughs> Yeah, that's a shame after she bought that new set of wrenches. <laughs> when Babe left the Acme Iron Company, they gave her a bonus, and she's using the money to have her teeth straight. Well, Babe's teeth do protrude a little, you know. <sighs> remember, remember the last time she almost got married? When the minister said, do you take this man to be your lawful wedded husband, Babe smiled, said, I do, and ripped her veil to shreds. <laughs> Oh, yes, I felt so sorry for her. those big holes in her veil the flies got in. <laughs> they invited me to go with them to Niagara Falls on their honeymoon, but it was too expensive for three people. So Babe and I are going alone. 
Mary, it's none of my business, but why doesn't your mother stay home? She has an answer to that. Oh. The reason I'm so anxious to go back to Niagara Falls is because it will bring back those wonderful memories of 1912. Just think, no other woman has gone over in a barrel since then. Not only that, your mother did it while the beer was still in it. No other news, so we'll close now. Your loving mother, Jersey Joe Livingston. Jersey Joe Livingston. Your mother sure reaches for those gags. Oh, wait a minute. Here's a P.S. Oh, fine. Uh, your sister Bate just came in crying her eyes out and said the wedding is off. What? Her boyfriend came over and handed her a note that said, We disaffiliate. No. It must be the real thing because it was written in coal dust. Gee, that's a shame. One thing about your mother's letters, they're always so interesting. Don, please. Don, why are there tears in your eyes? I caught my finger in the nutcracker. Good, good. Gee, I sure wish I could get out of this bed. I'm so uncomfortable. Well, Jack, you've been lying in the same spot all week. Why don't you turn around and put your head at the foot of the bed for a change? That's a good idea. Help me turn around, will you? I'll help you, Jack. Thanks, Don. Ooh. Ooh, be careful of my foot. Be careful of my sprained ankle. There. There, I'm all right now. Thanks. You're right, Mary. It is more comfortable with my head at this end of the bed. The doctor's here, Mr. Berry. The doctor sent him right in. How do you do? <laughs> now, I'm Dr. Nelson. Somebody called me. I did. It's about Mr. Benny's sprained ankle. Oh, well, I'll examine that at once. Say, this does look bad. Look how swollen it is. My, what an ugly-looking mess. <laughs> doctor, you're looking at my head. My feet are... <laughs> Yes, uh, that's your nose. I thought you had a high instep. Well, how, how does my ankle look, Doctor? I don't know yet. Pull up your nighties. <laughs> okay. I'll leave the room. You don't have to, Mary. I'm wearing pajamas underneath. Her. Now, Doctor, uh, examine my ankle. In just a moment while I remove your sock. There. And this little piggy went to market. This little piggy stayed home. This little doctor cut that off. Just examine my ankle. Yes, sir. Hiya, Jackson. Hello, fellas. Hey. What do you say, Libby? Hello, Phil. Hey, how you feel, Jackson? How's the invalid? I'm all right. Oh, Jack, look what Phil brought you. What? Why, Phil, you sentimental son of a gun. Thanks for the flowers. These ain't for you. I thought you had a nurse. I'll be darned. Here I am laid up in bed, and he brings flowers for the nurse. Well, ain't you got one? No, if I did have a nurse, how would you know what she looked like? Look, Jackson, what have I got to lose? If the dame's pretty, I give her the flowers. If she's really homely, Don can eat them. <laughs> well, you've certainly got that figured out. Hey, well, since you ain't got no nurse, Jackson, I think I'll give the flowers to Livy. Hey, here you are, Livy. Well, thank you. Wait a minute, Mary. I want this room to look nice. Put the flowers in the vase. Jack, Phil gave them to me, and I'm going to take them home. You are not. I'm the one who's laid up, so give me those flowers. Okay, okay, here. After all, it's my house, you know, and I... Ouch! Doctor, what did you do to my foot? I bit you, you mean old man! It's none of your business. 
Come on, come on, everybody. Let's get the party started. Phil, put down that bottle. That's the rub on my back. <laughs> huh? Can't you see what it says on the label? For external use only. You're supposed to rub it in your skin. Rub it in my skin? Yes. That sounds like a slow way, but with New Year's Eve three weeks off, maybe I can make it. <laughs> You rub hard, yeah. Hey, look, Jackson, I gotta run along. I gotta go down to the pool room, rehearse my own show. Phil, you rehearse your show in the pool room? Sure, that way I can always pick up my cue. <laughs> Phil. Oh, Harris, you may not be the best kid tonight. Phil, Phil. On second thought, don't rub it in. Drink it. <laughs> hey, thanks. So long, Jackson. So long. Hey, now, Mr. Benny. I've got your ankle all taped up, and I'd suggest that you get some rest. Some rest? Okay, Doctor. Goodbye, Mr. Benny. I'll see you later. Ha! <laughs> so long, Dennis. I'll run along too, Jack. Okay. I'm sorry I got so mad about the flowers. Oh, that's all right. Then give me a kiss to show me you're not mad. Okay. Pucker up your lips. Mm-hmm. A little more. Mm-hmm. A little more. Mm-hmm. Now, here's your rubber duck. Blow it up. <laughs> being such a mean old man. Gee, my toe hurts. Well, I'll run along too, Mr. Benny, and remember what I said. Get some sleep. I will, I will. Would you like me to leave you a sleeping pill? No, no, I'll just tune in to Fred Allen. <laughs> it's quicker that way. <laughs> Goodbye, Doctor. Goodbye. Oh, Rochester. Rochester. Yes, sir. Look, I'm going to try to get a little sleep. I wish you'd Read that book to me. That might help. You know, the one you the one you started yesterday. Oh, yes. Let me see. Where is it? Here it is right here. Let's see. Where were we? Oh, yes. In this town, there lived a farmer who was disliked by all of his neighbors because he was so greedy. And one day he walked out to the barn and found that his goose had laid a golden egg. Gee. The next day, the farmer went out to the barn and found that his goose had laid another golden egg. And then the third day, another golden egg. Oh, boy. On the fourth day, the goose... Rochester, read something else. I'll never go to sleep. That's too exciting. (laughs) Find find another story, will you? Okay, here's one. Once upon a time in a great big forest, there lived three bears. A mama bear, a papa bear, and a little baby bear. These three bears had a house in the woods. In their house, there was three beds. A mama bed, a papa bed, and a little baby. The baby bear said, someone's been eating my porridge and ate it all up. Rochester, don't read anymore. I'll try to get... Don, are you still here? Why didn't you go home? I can't. I'm sick as a dog. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Well, I apologize for that abrupt ending. I have not been able to find a copy of this show that doesn't have that same ending where it just sort of cuts off with Don Wilson there. So maybe, just maybe, that's the way the actual show was. Sometimes if I can find a, uh, another copy of the show, even if it's not as good of sound quality, I'll edit out the missing part and, and, and put it in. But that seems to be the way that it was. Pretty funny episode, though, the Jack Benny Show, one of our favorite shows here on Boomer Boulevard. And, of course, we remember Jack, Jack Benny Show so well, especially on television. 
Well, just a couple notes here. Did you hear Mary's, or Jack's reference, actually, to Martha Graham? When Mary said she got a letter from her mother, Jack said that her mother was the Martha Graham of Plainfield. And I really don't know what that meant, because Martha Graham was a modern dancer. Now, the only thing I can think of is during this show in December of 1947, Truth or Consequences was running a contest called The Walking Man. And Jack Benny was The Walking Man. And we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to go into a lot of uh, information about it now. But if you're interested, and it is really an interesting story, Martin Grams, who of course is an old-time radio historian, has a really thorough discussion of The Walking Man on his website, and I have a link to it. So if you go into Boomer Boulevard, show number 103, and go down to our description of The Jack Benny Show, you'll see the link there to Martin Graham's uh, discussion of The Walking Man. But this was going on while Jack Benny was doing this show. It was going on in December in 1947. That's a fascinating story. But right before The Walking Man, Truth or Consequences had another identify the mystery person type contest. And that individual was Martha Graham. Now, if that had anything to do with Jack's comment here, I don't know. But if you have any information about this, I would appreciate you sending me a note. Like I said, I'm, I'm a, not an old-time radio historian. I'm an old-time radio fan. And I play these shows because I like to listen to them. But I also like to pick up the little tidbits that are going on and try to understand them in, in the context of the time. Okay, the other thing we wanted to discuss. When Mary was talking about her mother's letter and the fact that her sister's boyfriend had broken up with her at the altar, she said he left a note in coal dust that said, I'm disaffiliated. And that got a laugh. Now, what was that all about? Well, it's very interesting. This all go, This one I did some research on. This goes back to John L. Lewis, who I know we have talked about before. He was the president of the United Mine Workers Union, and he was a very, very powerful union boss. And he wielded the union like a, like a weapon. I mean, he really wanted to get his men higher wages and shorter working hours, a shorter work week. And he did that by regularly going on strike. And sometimes it was to uh, the detriment of national interests. Well, without going into a lot of detail, the government kind of got fed up with it. And in 1947, the Taft-Hartley Act was passed. And that basically gave the government some control over the unions. And it said that the president could step in and stop a strike if the strike was affecting national security. Well, one of the things that the Taft-Hartley Act did say is that union officers could not be members of the Communist Party. Well, let me start here. It says, Lewis, who was never a communist himself, refused to allow any of his officials to take the non-communist oath required by the Taft-Hartley Act. The UMW was therefore denied legal rights protected by the National Labor Relations Board. He denounced Taft-Hartley as authorizing government by injunction and refused to follow its provisions, saying he would not be dictated to. 
Lewis broke up from the AFL, making the UMW an independent union again. And on 12-12-1947, December the 12th, 1947, reporters were summoned to the UMWA, that's the United Mine Workers of America, headquarters, and shown a message that was scrawled in blue crayon on a two-by-four-inch slip of paper that read, Green, who apparently, it was addressed to Green, who was the president of the AFL. He said, We disaffiliate, signed Lewis, 12, 12, 47. Well, that was only two days before this program. And obviously, that was very much in the newspapers. And that is what Jack Benny's uh, program was referring to when Mary said that her sister's boyfriend or fiance left a note in coal dust saying, We disaffiliate. I hope that's not too confusing, but it's kind of a fascinating area. area. I remember studying a little bit about the Taft-Hartley Act, but you know, any, any, and I've said this before, anything that happened before you were born was just ancient history, <laughs> right? So even though the Taft-Hartley Act was passed in 1947, the year of my birth, I mean, it might as well have been, you know, back in the time of the Revolutionary War because it predated me. So anyway, that seems to be the story of John L. Lewis, who was a very colorful character. And I might mention, from everything I've read, he was not a communist. He just felt strongly about the government not intruding in people's lives, from what I understand. More Jack Benny Show will be coming up in the weeks ahead. We have a number of uh, funny episodes that we still want to play, and we still have some that featured Ronald Coleman and Benita Hume. So, be on the lookout. I don't know how to love him. What to do, how to move him. I've been changed. Yes, really changed. In this past. Days when I've seen myself, I see like someone else. I don't know how to take this. I don't see why he moves me. He's a man. He's just a man. Should be in this position. 
that music means. That music means it is time for us to travel back to the Old West. The year is 1874. We're in Dodge City, Kansas, and we're walking up Front Street, shoulder to shoulder, with Marshall Matt Dillon. Along the way, we're likely to meet up with Kitty and Doc and Chester and the whole gang on Gunsmoke. 
You know, I have been accused of playing episodes of Gunsmoke and saying, ah, oh, this is my favorite episode. Well, I don't know that I have a favorite episode. I do probably have a top 10 list. And the episode we're playing tonight is high up on that list. This was an episode that was first debuted in 1958, late in the run. You can always tell the later episodes of Gunsmoke because of the change in music and also the shorter episodes because they put more commercials in them. So really, this episode only runs, I think it's about 21 minutes without, uh, without commercials. But my goodness, this is, this is a good episode. This one is dramatic and it's poignant and it's touching and it's just one of my favorites. The acting is outstanding and the writing by Kathleen Height is just superb. So here we go from 1958, August the 17th. This is an episode entitled simply The Piano. Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad, the story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, but it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. some more pie, Kitty? You might as well, since Doc's paying for it. <laughs> no, thanks, Matt. I've had plenty. Yeah, what happened to make you such a big spender, Doc? Some forgotten relative leave you something in his will? <laughs> might as well, huh? Well, what do you mean, Doc? Well, you remember that cowboy got himself shot up in a long branch brawl? Oh, that was a year or two ago? There's been more than one of them. Well, I know that, but Kitty might remember this. She hmm? helped stop the bleeding until I got there. Oh, I remember, Doc. He didn't even have enough money to buy a beer. And we figured he never would have. Well, what happened to him? Well, sir, I had a letter from him this morning. He's had some kind of a payoff in California. And he sent me a $20 gold piece to pay me for what he called my medical services. Wow. Well, that's fine, Doc. <laughs> I'm glad he made out. Yes, men like him don't often do it. And you don't often get paid, <laughs> either. Well, you never know in my business. Mr. Dillon, Mr. Dillon. Oh, it's huh? Chester, Matt, at the door. Oh. And you too, Doc. Hurry up. He means it, Doc. Excuse us. Oh, sir. He's going back outside. Somebody must be hurt. I didn't hear any shooting. Now, there are other ways to get hurt, Doc. Over here by the stage, Mr. Dillon. Oh. Yeah, that, 
That man has been hurt, Mac. That's the shotgun messenger, Doc. Somebody must have held up the stage then. Mike got shot, Mr. Dillon. He's hurt pretty bad. Let me take a look. What happened, Chester? Well, I don't know for sure. I seen the stage come in just now, and Mike was driving. Mike was driving? Yes, sir, so I knew something was wrong. Then I could see he was hurt, too. Yeah. Yeah, Doc. He's trying to say something. Make it fast, man. I got to get him up in my office. Mike, it's Marshal Dillon. What happened? Held up. Driver. Killed. Uh, were there any passengers? No, no. Currency shipment, 20,000. Where did it happen, Mike? Uh, he's going out, Matt. Mike, Mike, <laughs> try, please try, tell me, where did it happen? How many men? Huh? North Hat Creek. Two men. That's all, Matt, he, he's unconscious. I'll find a couple of men to help you, Doc. Chester, go get our horses. Yes, sir. And hurry. Anyone along here right now, Mr. Dillon? That cracked shoe shows up real plain. Yeah, they've been riding hard, too. But they must have slowed down or stopped for a while somewhere. I hope they didn't get no more sleep last night than we did. What's the matter, Chester? You getting old? Uh, no, sir, it ain't that. But, my gracious, two hours sleep. It just don't seem worth bothering about, that's all. Well, I hope our friends bothered a little about sleep. Well, if I was carrying $20,000 in bills, I wouldn't never stop. Yeah? You'd have to be riding a pretty unusual horse. Then. Well, yes, I guess you're right. But... Wait a minute. Hmm? Looks like they did stop after all. What? They built a fire over there. Yeah, it was them, all right. Yeah, same tracks. I think we picked up a little time on them, Chester. Come on, let's pick up some more. I swear, Mr. Dillon, them men riding like they'd stuck to the saddle. They're near dark again. Uh, they'll have to stop someplace along here pretty soon, huh? Well, I don't know. Hold up, Chester. Those tracks are heading down to those bushes along the creek here. Let's go easy. Yes, sir. Mr. Dillon? Yeah. Off yonder. Above the stream there, there's a shack. Ah, uh, yeah, I see it. You think there might maybe a hit out in it? Maybe. I'm not going to ride straight up to find out. We'll leave the horses here. Yes, sir. Now we'll circle around back. Just keep low. There's two horses tied up there. Uh-huh. Mr. Dillon, there they are. Yeah. All right, hold it, Joe. They're heading for the horses. You got him. Yeah, but the other one's getting away. Oh, he's out of range. Chester, you go bring the horses up. I'll see about the man I shot. Huh? Well, ain't you going after the other one? He's got a pretty good head start, and it's near dark. I'm not going after him blind. Morning soon enough. All now, go right. on. 
you get my brother. You get racked. Not yet. You heard bad? Yeah. Yeah, I sure am. Chester. Yes, sir? Tie up those horses and come here. We'll carry him into the shack. Be right there. Yeah. His fellow's horse. Well, what about him? Well, his legs broke. He must have stumbled and he's trying to get away. You reckon I better shoot him? All right, you can do it as soon as we get this man out of the shack. All right, sir. Easy, easy. easy. All right, open the door, Chester. I'll keep hold of him. My aid's locked. You suppose somebody lives in this forsaken place? Well, I'll find out. Go ahead and knock. Anybody in there? Open up! Anybody in there? There's no need for any more noise at my door. Just finished telling you men you can't stay in my house. You don't need that shotgun, ma'am. We don't mean any harm. I intend to defend my home, sir. No rough men are going to tramp around amongst my fine things. You open the door a little wider, ma'am, and you'll see we're not the same men. I don't open my home to any strangers. I'm Marshal Dillon from Dodge City, and we got a badly injured man here. A United States Marshal? That's right, ma'am. Well, then I guess I'll have to let you in. But I don't hold with your Yankee government. I want that clear. All right, ma'am. Fine. Come on, Chester. <laughs> now, you just show us where you want us to put him. He hurt bad. Yeah, bad enough. Well, I suppose even a rough man has a right to die in a bed. But mind you, be careful of my things. All right, ma'am. We'll mind. Horse, Mr. Dillon. I'll bring the saddle. Ah, good. Hey, ain't things a little strange in there? A little? All that talk about not hurting her fine things. Why, there ain't nothing there that's worth carting away except maybe that old pine. Yeah, I know. Everything else is all cracked and broke. Why, most ladies wouldn't give that stuff house room. You gentlemen would care to join me. I fixed a small supper. Well, that's very nice of you, ma'am. How do you say it's nice? Mr. Hanford. He's my husband. Mr. Hanford always said I could spot a gentleman right away. I could see you two were gentlemen as soon as we exchanged pleasantries there in the entryway. Well, thank you, ma'am. Mr. Proudfoot. Ma'am? Please take your hat off my cherry wood piano. My land, ma'am, it, it can't hurt nothing. I do not I... allow anything to mar the finish of my beautiful cherry wood pine. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Here's your place. Please sit down. Thank you. I don't imagine your wounded friend will be able to partake. Uh, no, Miss Hanford, he's not likely to come to for some time. As if he ever does. I can't imagine how he got his wound. I'd seen him just a few minutes before you gentlemen. Yeah, Miss Hanford, ma'am, didn't you hear the shooting right outside your door? 
I have trained myself not to see and hear the ugly things of life. I just live here alone among my things. But, uh, you, you said that you have a husband. My husband has been gone for two, three, four years now, Marshal. Oh, I, uh, I'm sorry to hear that, ma'am. Mr. Hanford, you'll never be content to live a quiet life. He thought he could when first we came here directly after the war. I had in mind he'd build me a new plantation. But, Marshal, just between you and me, Mr. Hanford didn't appreciate my lovely things. And one day, well, one day he just moved on west. Oh, that's too bad, ma'am. I do not need your pity, sir. I'm content. Well, sure, of course. I'd be obliged if you gentlemen would sleep out there on the veranda. Veranda? Oh, that's all right, Chester. We'll sleep on the veranda. Uh, I am going to have to keep an eye on Miller, though, ma'am. I will watch over him, Marshal. Well, no, that's not your job, Miss I'm mistress of this house, Marshal Dillon. I will watch over him. I will call you if there's any change. As a matter of fact, I'll look to him right now. Well, all right, ma'am. Mr. Dillon? Yeah, Chester. Mr. Dillon, is that slanty old porch of Randa? Well, it is to her. My, if she don't be all. <laughs> Mr. Dillon, every time I dig a grave, the ground seems harder than the last time. Our grave digging isn't supposed to be easy, Chester. It's too permanent. Funny how many men dies at daybreak, ain't it? I mean, when everything else is starting up and all. Well, I guess when you have to die, it's as good a time as any. Where do you reckon his brother is by now? Rack, I don't know. But we're sure going to have a long ride to catch up with him. Hmm. I sure ain't one to hurry up a man about his dying, but I sure would have been glad to have been shut of this place for now. What's the matter, Chester? Don't you enjoy southern hospitality? Mr. Dillon, I have to walk around in that old shack on my tiptoes. She's after me every minute about not hurting her things. Gracious goodness, I couldn't hurt them old things if I tried. Well, we can be leaving soon now, Chester. We've done about all we can do. Get out! Mr. Dillon, in them bushes. Yeah. And my guns are in the house. Come on. I believe it's customary. Will you get out of the way, please? I want my gun over there. What do you suppose that crazy fool's thinking of? I don't know, Chester, but he must have a good reason for sticking around. His brother? No, I don't think he'd take on these odds when he was pretty sure his brother was done for. I think he's got another reason. Where's the saddle that came off Miller's horse? Well, over there in the corner. Oh. Be careful of your heavy footsteps. Yeah, let's see now. Yeah, that's it. No wonder he stuck around. All that money makes up into a right pretty little package, don't it? Yeah. So, Dylan, I don't understand the sudden rudeness on your part. I'm sorry, ma'am, but I'm not too polite when I'm being shot at. And you stay away from those windows. I thank you not to give me orders in my own house. Chester, let's push the piano in front of that window over there, huh? Right. We're like sitting ducks this way. You will not touch my cherry with All right, piano. come on, Chester. Yes, oh, don't harm it. Oh, don't harm it. 
I'll watch the front and you take the side, huh? I don't think you'll wait long. How long must I endure this? How long? As long as that outlaw's out there, Miss Hendrick. He's not going to let us out of here alive. You're going to stay here tramping around among my nice things until he goes away. I'm afraid so, ma'am. Well, I'll just order him off my land. Uh, Miss Hanford, come back here. See here, sir. Miss Hanford! You're trespassing. I want you to ride on... Why, he shot her. Yeah. Ah, there he is, running for the creek. He's down. You got him. Yeah. You go make sure, will you, Tessa? Yes, sir. I'll see to Miss Hanford. Miss Hanford. Miss Hanford. I sure did, and you were right. I'm sorry, ma'am. He was no gentleman, was he, Marshal? Just passing on a lady's property. No, ma'am, he wasn't. He's dead, Mr. Dillon. How's Miss Hanford? Not good. Not good at all. Miss Hanford, we're going to take you into your house. No, 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 not just yet, Marshal. Don't move me. Let me die here on the veranda. But you'd be more comfortable Please, with me. Marshal. I won't delay you long. Well, is there anything we can do? I mean... Is there any way to make you feel better? You would just see... You would just see that somebody takes care of my lovely childhood hand. She gone? Yeah. Well, I can carry her inside now. Dylan? Yeah. She really believed Rack Miller would listen to her and go away, didn't she? Yeah. That he was no gentleman. Well, it's just a shame, that's what it is. Miss Pine sure must play pretty. We she loved it. Took care of it so good. What are you doing? Oh, I just thought I'd hit me a note or two. She, she wouldn't care, would she? I guess she wouldn't. Why? Why you don't play at all? Huh? And look here, under the top. All the strings is rusted away, just hanging there. Mister Dillon, this pine ain't made a sound for years. I guess I didn't have to play, Chester. Just had to look pretty. It was all she had.
Smoke. Produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Featured in the cast were Parley Bear as Chester, Howard McNear as Doc, and Georgia Ellis as Kitty. George Walsh speaking. Join us again next week for another specially transcribed story on Gunsmoke. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. My lovely Cherrywood piano. From August 17th, 1958. That was Gunsmoke, and the name of that episode was The Piano. I misspoke earlier. I said that was written by Kathleen Height, who did write a number of episodes of Gunsmoke. Actually, I believe this one was written by Marion Clark, and it was just an outstanding job. That one almost makes me cry at the end. It's just so touching. One of the best episodes of Gunsmoke you'll ever hear. Well, Chester is signaling to me that we're all out of time, so let me pick up all of these shows and carry them back into the vault. Folks, that's going to kick things in the head for another week. Don't worry, though. We'll be back in two weeks. We'll have a whole new slate of shows, and I will mend your broken heart. I know how sad you are when this show ends, and I appreciate that, but what can I do? Sure, I'm glad you stopped by. I hope you have a great couple of weeks coming up. Hope the weather's nice where you are and your football team is winning and your baseball team is winning and exciting stuff is going on. I love the fall, love this time of year, and I hope you do too. Okay, everybody, that's it. I am out of here. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by and I'm so glad you met me. Remember this, a kiss is still a kiss, a sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things apply as time goes by. And when two lovers woo, 
They still say I love you And that you can rely No matter what the future brings As time goes by Moonlight and love songs Never out of date Hearts full of passion Jealousy and hate Woman needs man And man must have his mate That no one can deny It's still the same old story A fight for love and glory A case of do or die The world will always welcome lovers As time goes by